Good morning, everyone. We've been uh, listening to memories of Esther, and we've all had memories of Esther. And I uh, appreciate what you shared, Taylor, and what you did. So what I have to say here is an addendum to the message we've already heard. And, uh, yeah, my thoughts have been going to Esther. I've also been thinking about the family a lot. And, uh, you know, there's a sadness among all of us who are here, I'm sure, that uh, because Esther is gone and we'll miss her, there's a sadness about that. Uh, but for those who were closest, it's not only a sadness, it's a whole. And I was talking to Apple this morning, and, you know, we're, we're all happy, the family is happy for where she is, and wouldn't want to have her back in that way, but there's a hole, and, uh, and it probably hasn't hit all of us yet, you know, the, the size of that hole. So God bless this family and meet your needs where you are, and uh, we are sympathetic and grieving with you. Yeah, as has already been pointed out, Esther was a remarkable lady. And uh, I want to consider some things some have already been touched on, some lessons that we can learn from her life and her testimony, uh, lessons that are taught in the Bible. So it was already mentioned that Esther was born with some handicaps, but she didn't let them stop her or discourage her. And she was a cheerful soul. And that giggle, uh, all of you who know her have heard that giggle, and it was contagious. And she was a contented person, uh, at peace with how things were. You did not hear her complaining. And some people in circumstances like hers would have become very bitter. She was not a complaining, bitter person. She was crippled, as Kayla pointed out, and she couldn't move gracefully, whether as a child or as an adult in the kitchen. She moved somewhat awkwardly, but she moved. And she worked, and she worked hard, harder than most of us to do the work she did. And when she was no longer able to gather eggs, she washed eggs. She did what she could. She had some vision problems, and that one eye that kind of wandered around. She had some surgery done that helped it for a while. And academics wasn't her thing. Uh, she had a remarkable memory, remembering birthdays and dates of events and phone numbers. Caleb talked about that network. She had all those phone numbers in her head, I'm sure. But she wasn't the scholarly type, and she didn't finish school. Did you say sixth grade? Uh, some might say she was even a little simple, and I don't say that disrespectful because I respect her a lot. I think I respect her more now than I ever did, and I know those who knew her respect her too. We heard that this morning. So I'm just mentioning that to say that uh, she had limitations. And what can a person like that offer mankind? 
What can a person like that do for God? Well, here's lesson number one that I thought about. God values and uses small things. Things that man would call insignificant and unimportant and foolish even. God looks at things differently than, than we do. So Paul wrote in Corinthians about that. He said that uh, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, or those who think they're wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. So God uses, often uses, what to men are small, insignificant, unimportant things to accomplish what He wants to accomplish. So, a young slave girl told important Naaman, a commander of the Syrian army, about a man of God in Israel that could heal him of his leprosy. And a shepherd boy defeated a giant Goliath who mocked and blasphemed God. And a lad offered a little lunch to Jesus, who used it to feed a multitude of hungry people. And a young lady, just a common, ordinary citizen of Nazareth, was visited by the angel Gabriel and informed that she had been chosen to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She wasn't a princess. She wasn't born to a king. And there was a poor widow that Jesus watched coming into the temple once, and he saw her drop two mites into the offering chest in the temple. I love this story. The wealthy were dropping in great sums of money. Did they do it with a little flair? Somehow it was obvious. Jesus noticed it. But the poor widow dropped in two mites. The smallest and least valuable coins in circulation in Jesus' day is what I read. One source says that it would have taken 128 mites to equal a denarius, which many Bible scholars think is what a, the average laborer made in a day. A mite was worth next to nothing. But Jesus was impressed with her offering. God uses what man sees as insignificant and unimportant. But, and Jesus told the disciples that this poor lady gave more than all the rest, than all those rich men. How could that be? Jesus said, she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. And that introduces us to our second lesson, that small things are great when offered with devotion. It's not the size of the offering that impresses God, it's the quality. And God uses faithful people 
devoted people. This widow gave her whole livelihood. I believe she gave her whole heart. The rich gave portions, percentages. So people are given different abilities and gifts. There's the parable of the talent in Matthew 25 that Jesus told. And he told how a uh, man, a wealthy man, gave five talents to one and two to another and to another one. To each according to his own ability. God decides that part, who gets how many talents. God loves them all, values them all, and God is watching how they respond and what they do. They can all be useful if they're devoted to God. And Esther, with the talent that she had, offered herself to God. With her limitations, she did faithfully what she could. And God blessed her for that. And He used her to bless others. So, though she was handicapped, she had a heart of gold. And Esther discovered a secret to joy and contentment. She wasn't a theologian, but she fully embraced a simple gospel, believe in Jesus. She had a strong faith. She accepted Jesus as her Savior and was confident in her salvation. She believed that God was with her and that He heard her prayers. And she believed that when her life here was over, that she had a home in heaven. She believed those things. And she believed that Jesus loved her. And she loved Jesus. Martha and I were with her uh, Wednesday evening. She was on comfort care already and only partly conscious. She knew we were there. And I read the 23rd Psalm to her, which ends, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I told her that God has been with her all of her life and shown her goodness and shown her mercy, and she will soon be in His presence forever. And that the angels are coming soon to take her to be with Jesus. That Jesus loves her and is waiting for her and she roused and said with some effort, I love Jesus. And we sang to her the song that we sang here a little earlier, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And she joined in, trying to sing along, barely, barely above a whisper, but singing all the way through the verse. Esther loved Jesus. And she followed Jesus. You know, once the lawyer asked Jesus, what was the greatest commandment? 
And Jesus said to him, in Matthew 22, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Esther loved Jesus, and she loved people as herself, just like Jesus said. Esther's sister Ethel told her once that she was born with an enlarged heart. That's why she loved so many people. Someone who takes seriously the first and the second commandment as Jesus gave them is going to do a lot of things right. And Esther did. She genuinely lived out her faith in everyday practical life. She cared about her family, her brothers and sisters, and nieces and nephews, the grands, all of them, and many others too. And she served her family at home with pop and mom and the siblings. And then when her mother Edna died uh, in 1964, she carried a big load until Pop married Ruth, who was a blessing to this family. Esther spent time in Lena's home uh, when babies were born and caring for aging Pop and Ruth. And I'm sure there were many, many other examples of ways that she served her family. And family members would stop in to see her. Neighbors would stop by just to visit uh, so Linda mentioned the egg, uh, the, that she was the egg lady, and people came by to, uh, to buy eggs from her. And sometimes I talked to uh, a man last night, I believe he's here this morning, who would stay and visit with her, and his acquaintance with her was buying eggs, good quality eggs. There was a kindness and an interest in people that was attractive to others. She always offered a listening ear to trouble or whatever was on someone's mind. And she, those greeting cards that have already been referred to, and some of them were hand-colored, and uh, Martha just pointed out to me this morning, whoever designed this did a sweet job of this little program, or whatever you call it. But on the back, at the top, please color me. That was an example of the kind of coloring that she did. And would give them with thought. Uh, sometimes those rhymes, like she had inside, minister to many people, offering encouragement and comfort and blessings. She prayed. She prayed a lot. She prayed for many people. A long list of family and others. She prayed for the church. God heard those prayers. I told her once, 
that he's a pillar in the church for the support, for the prayers that he offers. She was never noisy. She never taught a Sunday school class. She was a quiet person during church. But she was a pillar in the church. And a pillar, I don't believe a pillar is about prominence. There were pillars in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that were like monuments. But this kind of pillar is a support. This is about support. And her prayers and her burdens were supportive for family, for church. She was a pillar in the church. But she did get discouraged sometimes. And uh, she said once, that once she gets discouraged, that she would sing. She will sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Or some other song that would lift her spirit. I sing, I pray, I chase the devil away, she said with a giggle. And you know, that is a powerful antidote to discouragement. And a lot of people have never found it. I sing, I pray, I work it, I resist the devil. Only God knows how many people, how many lives she has blessed. And at the judgment day, she'll be one of those who would say, when did I see you naked and clothed you? When did I see you in prison and I visited you? And so forth. She served without keeping score. But God watched. God notices. God uses devoted people. A devoted person loves God and loves people like Jesus said. And he serves God as he serves others. The third lesson here is that Jesus is preparing a place for those who love him, for those devoted people that love him and love others. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. As to believe that. During her stay in the hospital and um, rehab, she wanted very much to get back home. She missed her bird. She would talk about her kitty cat. And she talked about Ezra. Ezra's back here. And uh, she missed, he often comes down to see her from his grandparents' place. And others too. Those were three that she would mention often. Ethel promised to come and spend a week with her after she was back home. And Esther was really looking forward to that. And at the first of last week, uh, things were looking more promising. Tuesday, she was weak, 
but she was perky and cheery, and she's making good progress, we thought. We were hopeful. Her health situation, you know, over these weeks had been kind of up and down. At times when she wasn't doing so well and was feeling miserable, her thoughts would turn more toward heaven. And once a doctor or a nurse was discussing end-of-life decisions with her and what her wishes were, about resuscitation. And she said, if I'm starting to enter glory, I don't want anyone to bring me back. I don't know if that's the exact quote, but the way she repeated it to us, something like So Wednesday evening, Esther was focused on the gates of heaven and ready to go, and ready to see Jesus, and we're so thankful we can be there. You know, in times like this, it's a good opportunity for us to reflect on our own lives. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Some translations say, when our earthly uh, house or this tent is destroyed. The time is coming for all of us. When we leave these earthly bodies, this earthly life, and because we believe that, we live our lives with that reality in mind. First John 3, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. People who love Jesus and live for Jesus and are looking forward to someday being with Jesus don't live for themselves and the world and fulfilling their own selfish desires. So we have this confidence when a faith passes away that comforts us that they have gone to be with Jesus and that someday... Jesus is coming again for the redeemed. And the dead will be raised to life and lifted into the air, accompanied by the believers that are still living. We shall be like Him, that Scripture says. And that will be a Christ-likeness at a completely new level. Our bodies will be changed. Our location will be changed. Our circumstances will be changed. Our spiritual condition will be changed, and all for the better. It hasn't been revealed to us yet what all that will be, but we know when it happens, it will be better. And the greatest change will be being in the presence of Jesus. 
for the unsaved, regardless of how good their circumstances are here, even if their circumstances are better than their most ambitious dreams, the future is not a bright one unless there's a change of heart. But for the faithful child of God, there's the sure promise of grace for the present and a wonderful future. So the lessons, some lessons we looked at this morning from the Bible and from Esther's life. God uses small things. God doesn't dismiss them and disdain them like men tend to do. And small things are great when they are offered with devotion to God. God values the quality of an offering, not the size. The depth of our devotion is measured against the first and second commandments. We love God first of all, most of all, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, and to live that out in everyday life. And last, that Jesus is preparing a place for those who truly love Him, those who are living out their love for Jesus in everyday life. It's important for us to think about these things while we're still here, living on the earth. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.